0: Welcome to Maxim Murphy, Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, hosting solo this week as Jarrett Murphy from City Limits gets a well-deserved break uh, and happy to be back with you as the snow starts coming down and we'll see what kind of snowstorm this is and how well the city government responds to it. Always a big question, first snowstorm in a while And we will see how it goes here. But hopefully you are hunkered down or on your way to it. So I'm going to be joined by Maya Wiley. She's a civil rights attorney. She's a former counsel to Mayor Bill de Blasio. She's former chair of the Civilian Complaint Review Board Police Oversight Body. She was recently a scholar at the New School and also an MSNBC legal analyst, among other things. Maya, are you there?
1: I'm here, Ben. How are you?
0: I'm doing okay. How are you?
1: Good, thanks.
0: Good, good. Good to, good to have you join us here. Uh, Jarrett, sorry he's missing you, but, uh, but I'm happy you're here and, uh, and, and we'll talk more another time when Jarrett's also with us. Um, so start off, uh, for us just with the gist of why do you want this job? Why do you want to be mayor of New York City? You haven't run for elected office before, but you've been, uh, you know, at some of the, Uh, big tables where things are happening in City Hall and elsewhere, uh, nationally, locally. But why do you want to be mayor of New York City?
1: You know, thanks, Ben. Um, Thanks for having me. And thanks for that question. Because I know that this city can be one where we can all live with dignity. And dignity means many things. It means development, without displacement it means an education system that sees all our children as excellent it means you know up up public back in public safety you know as we know we have all these issues and traumas that we're facing because of covid but the question isn't whether we'll recover from covid uh, we must and we will, but the question is how we recover from COVID because it just blew the curtain back on so many things that have been broken and problematic in this city for far too long. And I am running, as you say, as a non-traditional candidate because what I've seen both in 30 years as a civil rights attorney and racial justice advocate um, in my purchase is 25 years of doing litigation and policy work, but also So going inside city government, because I believe deeply in the possibility of city being more transformative of our problems, is that it takes a leadership that is not going to be transactional. It takes a leadership that is going to partner. It takes a leadership that's going to listen and learn and then lead together with people of the city. And that's something I've always done. And that's something I care deeply about. And frankly, I just, I'm not going anywhere. And I want my kids to not have to go anywhere and that, mm-hmm. and or any of their friends or any of the folks in my community. And so that's why I'm running.
0: You know, you, you, you said, you've mentioned this uh, phrase uh, a number of times about, you know, making sure it's a city where everyone can live with dignity. Say a little bit more about that because I wanted to ask you about exactly sort of what that means. And I, I know you just said it means different things for different people. But, uh, you know, if you're talking to voters and you say that and they, and they say to you well what does that mean for me and my family what what's your mm-hmm. response to that
1: well, I have to start personally, because for me, it's also personal. Like, I grew up in a black, segre- I, well, I spent my early years, I didn't spend my entire childhood, but in a black, segregated neighborhood, my formative years, in the neighborhood I still count as mine, and it, I went to an overcrowded, underfunded, uh, segregated public school. Uh, I watched my best friend, Charlene, whose mom was a cashier at our neighborhood grocery store, disappear one day because... the rent was increased and her mother who could always be found at that grocery store who worked such long hours who couldn't make the ends meet before the rent went up was displaced from the community and it was my first experience as as a kid in elementary school with with how cities fail to recognize that we all have dignity and deserve to be treated with dignity and it is that fundamental and when my own daughter who is 17 now but this was a few years back came to me as an, as an artsy kid, as a kid who loves to draw, who wants to potentially do creative stuff as a career, said, Mom, I get it. I have to really be um, someone who maybe works as a cashier, maybe in a restaurant, uh, so I can pay my bills and still be able to do my art while I'm trying to build up a way to get paid to do my art. Except here's the thing, Mom. I didn't. I've done the math. And that means I would have to be able to get rent, uh, an apartment for $600 a month. And she started to become upset and emotional. And she said, where can I live? None of that is dignity. Not the way Charlene was treated, not the way any of my classmates and I were treated in our school, not the, not the fact that my daughter, who frankly has been given much, is actually wondering if she can be part of the creative culture and community of the city. None of that is dignity. And as we know and as we've seen with policing, it's also not dignity when we suffer from gun violence and then at the same time have to worry about police violence. That all those things are about dignity and part of what we're doing is a campaign because it is central to dignity and also listening and learning to figure out how to create it better is calling folks together in people's assemblies to say, what does dignity mean to you? What is it that you want from the next administration? What kind of investments do you want in your community? What?" Because we have communities that have been working to solve problems without getting the dignity of so, recognition and support from government, and we can change that.
0: That's that's helpful. I appreciate that. That answer about about the dignity uh, uh, term and and how you know how you've meant it and how you're thinking about it. You hit on a couple of things I want to come back to. But but first, you know, I think for a lot of people often when they talk about dignity and this ties in with your the story about your daughter is is a good paying job. And we've obviously yeah. seen because of covid. Um, so much displacement economically obviously there's the public health ramifications and the and the death that we 've seen in the destruction of yeah. the virus on people um, but but we're also facing this question of trying to get uh, people working again. Can you point to one thing if you know if you were mayor right now or if you become mayor in january 2022 you know one concrete thing to get people working that you would try to do?
1: <laughs> well, there are many things I'll, I'll do more than sure. try to do, uh, but we have more to than do it one together. Is good too. Uh, right, more than one is good too. Um, but let me start by saying uh, it is: we have, in very practical, uh, we have a capital construction budget in this city. Um, that is money that is stimulative. <laughs> and we should think about it as stimulative because it does, those projects are creating jobs and we should think about that type of stimulation as well as the fact that we will probably have an infrastructure bill out of the federal government. We keep talking about relief package, which we must have, but it's not just relief package. Infrastructure bill is the one thing that the failed Donald Trump administration should have been able to get done in his four years and didn't because that is bipartisan agreement That's also capital money. Those are stimulative things. But we need to identify the projects that solve multiple problems, including creating jobs that are people who need them the most. Can connect with and make sure their jobs with dignity, make sure their jobs with justice. And so that's the kind of thing that city government absolutely has the opportunity and ability to do right now because that is within the control of the government and it's recognizing that we have assets and resources. And I want to add one other thing because, sure. you know, one of the things that government can and must do differently is partner with itself. <laughs> it's, it, it must, do we, we have 55 agencies of federal government, of, of city government, and they all have resources. They all have programs. And even even with budget cuts, and, and we, we will have budget cuts, uh, the question is how to do that morally. But even with those budget cuts, we're going to have programs and we are going to spend money. And it is going to be about spending all of this workforce development dollars that we have right now, peppered across different agencies of government, pulled together in a more strategic way, focused in a more strategic way that talks to our private sector about what is coming back. You know, the tech sector added jobs during COVID. Ben. Mm-hmm. Not only did they add jobs during COVID, people moved into New York City for those jobs. Well, what does that tell you? It tells you we're not dead. We're not dying. Our people have been suffering too much, and 88% of those who died have been Black, Latino, Asian. But that 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 must change, and that means. Orienting those dollars to the communities that have also suffered deep, hard impact so that they are able to take advantage of the opportunities that will happen and that in our as in the process of our recovery. And I would I would look at all those things and more.
0: Do, do, do you have a sense in terms of the way the city manages the capital budget now? Do you have a sense of something that's off there or do you need to get under the hood there more before you, you know how you would really tinker with that?
1: Yeah, I need to get it. Look, I have I left city government in 2016. Um, I that is the kind of thing you have to get under the hood. I've been talking mm-hmm. to community leaders around the city and including some some leaders who've been quite frustrated about projects that have been delayed years that mm-hmm. were approved out of the capital construction budget. So the reality is looking at both where, the promises that have been made in communities like Southeast Queens or Northwest Bronx or, you know, that 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 may be those right kinds of projects to make sure they actually get pushed and off the ground. And there also may be some new opportunities. You know, one of the things that I was really grateful and proud of being able to do when I was in City Hall was universal broadband access was part of my portfolio. As we've seen in COVID, I, I was working on it for years before city government, always knew that it was critical infrastructure, particularly for low income communities, uh, and that we are far too often denied access to that in Incredible resource that should be seen as a utility, <laughs> like electricity. Sure. I'm glad you, but, I'm but glad that, you mentioned that. But we that. got we got it. But we but we. I just want to say, Ben, mm-hmm. so we I put a seventy billion dollar a seventy million dollar budget line in the capital construction budget as part of. Managing city government into doing something it never imagined it could do before. And I, I left with a plan for public housing to get free broadband, not not every single development. We didn't have enough money for that. But start that process. The $157 million that the de Blasio administration announced post-COVID to deal with access issues, was $70 million of that was money I helped get in the budget back in 2015. If I am mayor, that money doesn't lay fallow.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. So, I, right. I remember that accomplishment. Actually, putting in a capital budget line around broadband was was a significant uh, move. Uh, but yeah, I guess I guess you just sort of hit at my my question. If this was one of the big things that you worked on in City Hall, why are we still in a place now? You know why why during your time there didn't it get advanced further, maybe, or why wasn't the momentum so hard to you know so hard to stop that we're not in the place we're at now? I mean, we're still at a place where we're so far from universal broadband and the mayor's you know finally promising this internet master plan uh, a lot later than it was expected was what was the gap there
1: So, you know, we I was there from 2014 to to 2016. And in that time, we got both the capital construction budget. I was able to get that capital construction budget line. I was able to create and set up uh, Queensbridge houses, getting free broadband access to every apartment. First time the city ever did a public broadband play Focused on the largest public housing development in North America, and I laid the groundwork, hired the staff, and helped create the process and the infrastructure to get it to a, a development that the mayor announced in a stand-up with Julian Castro, who was then HUD secretary, um, about a major public housing development in every single bur in every single borough, all every single borough uh, would 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 get the same service and i left in 2016 feeling quite confident that with a public announcement with creating staffing and with putting the budget in place not wasn't going to solve all the questions there were still when you do something for the first time in government when you get government to work across multiple agencies to do something it hasn't done before it isn't simple i'm not pretending it is. That's why I was so grateful for the opportunity to to push it. Um, But that's the point. When I left, it was the fact that there was not a senior leadership in place that kept the eyes on that prize. And that's, that's that's what it takes. It takes the vision for what can be done, but it takes keeping the eyes on that vision, keeping folks moving on it, and one of the things that people don't realize is a big part of the job in City Hall, uh, and it's and it's part of why I have to come in humble, <laughs> and sure. I mean this, you know, public service is a privilege. It is a privilege. It is a hard service because doing the work is hard, but it's a privilege. And what it requires is the humility to know that your job in that big chair is to move the barriers out of the way for the agencies, get the barriers out of the way, as well as hold them accountable. But a lot of it is moving barriers and that that is something that we need more of in city hall
0: speaking of barriers and um, and accountability and moving things ahead that sort of uh, percolate but but maybe don't go anywhere you mentioned earlier um, segregated schools and that was something that the mayor sort of pulled you back into some some service for the city and to, to co-lead a, a school diversity task force you you did a lot of work with with the other members of the task Force and other members mm-hmm. of the public put out a couple different plans. Uh, the second plan, which had really the the big sweeping changes to change enrollment and admissions and things like that, uh, the mayor basically sat on that for uh, eight months before the pandemic hit and then the pandemic hit. So yeah. we haven't seen any, yeah. any movement on that. I'm wondering, um, you know, we've sort of outlined the reasons why there hasn't been movement on that. The mayor hasn't done anything, mm-hmm. but... Uh, do you do you think now that you're running for mayor that that those recommendations will be part of your platform or how are you thinking about desegregating the city schools?
1: So, let me just say first and foremost, you know, um As someone who's experienced it, as someone who knows uh, both personally and professionally that the way we create excellent education is recognize that all our kids are excellent and that and that we learn better when we learn together, that I am absolutely going to keep moving forward. And let me add one thing. (laughs) Let me add one thing. one of the things that was so wonderful about the school diversity advisory group that got so lost, you know, uh, in 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 the eruption as a response to the recommendations, and it's an eruption, I understand, you know, change is scary, it's hard, and we care more about our kids than anything else in our lives. And I say that with mm-hmm. you, who also went to public schools in New York City, um, that what we what we what we needed is a city hall that recognized that central to our recommendations, in addition to saying, let's let's ex how we invest and recognize in recognizing the gifts and talents of our children. Let's expand that. But let's also recognize that we have to invest in a process that engages those in uh, parents and students and administrators and teachers and community. Because what was so great about the process that we engaged in as the School Diversity Advancement group, Advisory Group is that we had everybody at the table in terms of stakeholders. We had parents. We had students including including some who were in middle school. We had a teacher who was a special education teacher. We had principals we had academics and we had advocates everybody. And we, and we did not agree with one another when we walked into that room at the beginning of the process. We worked hard together. But our recommendations were was that that hard work continue outside of our group. And so really what it required was a mayor who was willing to say, hey, public, we now going to engage with these recommendations. You don't have to agree mm-hmm. with them all. You don't have to accept them all. But we are going to invest in the engagement. But here's what you do have to do. We do have to agree that we're going to make change in our schools that benefit all our kids. You do have to agree so, to that. And you have to come up with ways that meet the goals. But we will have a process for figuring out how that happens well and what works in different communities. Because as we said in our report, it's not a one-size-fits-all.
0: So, so Maya Wiley, as as co chair of that task force, is very different than Maya Wiley as a mayoral candidate. So, very much, very much understanding that. Do you take those recommendations and make those part of your platform, or you know, are you so as a mayoral candidate, for example, are you behind those types of big sweeping recommendations for desegregating city schools, or are you sort of resetting here as you consider your candidacy?
1: Well, so look, my candidacy—I'm—I'm I'm running as Maya Wiley, so I'm always going to be Maya Wiley. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, sorry, let me just say that you—you so so might have compromised more in
0: the in the task force than you well, would when you're saying I'm a mayoral candidate. He, Here's what I want to do.
1: No, I mean, sir, so look, look, leadership requires compromise, <laughs> right? I mean, mm-hmm. it does, and it requires bringing folks together. I think the what I am going to stick to to. Um, what is going to work to achieve the goals that we set out as a path force? The only reason I'm hesitating isn't about what our recommendations were. It's that COVID hit, and COVID has it's both ripped apart the education system for our kids. Right? We're we're going to have to confront realistically and really look hard at the fact that we're going to have kids who are a year behind from where they should be through no fault of their own, um, and that our our job one is going to be to really make sure that we are recognizing how and in innovating how we support our kids not just to catch up but to really excel and, and and achieve and in a way that engages in innovation in our education system and figuring out the ways that that also matches our other goals including because integration is an educational excellence goal. Um, I'm, my only point is COVID has ripped you know it's it's just it's just shredded so much of what our system was, including the fact that it switched to online and so many of our kids couldn't even get access to the online education, that it gives us... Something that uh, can be an opportunity and should be looked as a potential opportunity, which is to innovate in ways we hadn't thought about before. So I want to make sure we're staying open to the innovation and, the, and in a way that does serve those goals. Uh, I'm not going to change the goals, but there okay. may be things about COVID that may change how we get there and meet them.
0: All right. Well, this is definitely a topic we want to uh, chat with you more about in the future. Um, but we appreciate, uh, the chance to, to talk about a few things here today. We'll let you go and, and, uh, and have you back in the future, but happy holidays and, uh, and be safe out there and, and we'll talk again soon.
1: Happy holidays to you, Ben. And thanks for having me. And I look forward to it. Take good thanks. care. <laughs>
0: Bye. Thank you.